Welcome to Flushing Transit Authority, the podcast that is searching for meaningful games in September. It's going to be a long search this year, Will. Uh, Jay, I, I believe that you're right. I mean, I've found meaningful games in September, just not on the Mets schedule. So this is uh, your host, Jay Bushman. I'm here with my co-host, Will Stegman. And it's, uh, you know, they call the August the dog days, but this is Los Angeles, where summer doesn't begin until September. Um, it's September 2nd, and it's about a million and a half degrees here. And the Mets are losing every game in sight. So I think it's safe to call September the new dog days. Dog days 2.0. I, I think you're right. Um, you're only slightly exaggerating about the temperature. It was a legitimate um, 100 plus in Los Angeles. Um, it's disgusting. And um, look, I know we're not having the worst time of people in the country right now. <laughs> um, but it is hot. It is hot. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But first, uh, a correction. In a previous episode, we discussed the retail space in City Field, and we stated that the Wilpon family had opened an escape room. Uh, we've been informed that this was a mistake. The only room people are escaping from is the Mets Clubhouse. Uh, we apologize to the Wilpons, to the uh, Mets Clubhouse attendants, uh, and really anyone who is still stuck in that escape room at the moment. Yeah, I mean... I guess the remaining players haven't figured out the puzzles yet. I mean, I figure Estrubal Cabrera was working very hard to try you know, to get that worked out. <laughs> uh, you know, I think uh, in an earlier episode we were reminiscing about uh, a stalwart New York um, sports casting uh, icon, Warner Wolf, uh, which makes me want to say, it's September, and if you had Estrubal Cabrera being granted his request for a trade, you, you lost. lost. Now gets a whole... <sighs> yeah... Um, hey, um, do you remember when the biggest issue we had on this team was we have four outfielders in three spots. Who's going to play where? Do you remember the days of, hey, we have seven quality starting pitchers. <laughs> Let's take a walk down 2017 memory lane. Well, like as a, as a reminder, we started this year. It was, it was one of the biggest questions was Cespedes, Conforto, Granderson, Bruce, who's going to play? All four of those players are now gone. Yes. I would like to just, if you're a Mets fan, can you name the Mets starting outfield? Like, <laughs> it's just, it's at the point where um, it's the last man standing, please turn out the lights at City Field. I gotta say, like, this has been a brutal season for injuries. We thought last year was bad. This has been even worse. And I think... Looking back at all, I, th I think the, the moment the air went out of the season was when Syndergaard got hurt, um, and then like everything just went off the rails from there. That being said, the Michael Conforto injury is like adding insult to, to, to the rash of injuries. Right. Like, like, he swung, he swung at a pitch... Swang is a good word. Swang a word? I don't know. It is for the purposes of this podcast. He swung at a pitch, and his shoulder exploded. <laughs> now, How does this happen? I know you're only laughing out of frustration. Yeah. Apparently, this happened to him in college as well. Oh. Apparently, it is... That is what you call a pattern. Mm, that's a pattern. Where yes. something has happened more than one time. <laughs> um, now, the thing that troubles me about the Conforto thing is, all right, he's shut down, obviously, for the rest of the year, but if he needs surgery, why isn't he getting surgery, like, yesterday? 
um, so that he's ready to play come April? Well, um, given what um, we know of as the track record of the Mets medical staff, wouldn't you get a second opinion? I, oh, I would get every opinion in the world. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would just be going undercover to you know yeah. to urgent care places. Like, hey, can you just take a look at this? So you know. Conforto out for the year, and, and I guess the, I guess the way to look at it is we are getting a jump on the injuries for next season yes. already. So um, Conforto out for the year, Cespedes with another um, hamstring, hamstring problem. problem, and this one a little more severe. Cespedes is shut down for the year. Granderson is off with a new family who is taking better care of him. <laughs> Jay Bruce, the same. same. Um, he is in Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland has got about a five-game lead in the division right now, and is looking pretty good. Um, but you know, who who do we have left? Not a well, lot. Well, as we as we record this on Saturday morning, uh, Matt Harvey comes back from the disabled list today, which uh, I guess we could only um, consider the beginning of the Matt Harvey farewell tour with the Mets. Um, and you know, we've 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 uh, called Greg Jeffries' number a few times uh, over the season as we've been discussing various things and. I'm starting to wonder whether or not Matt Harvey is going to be our current version of Greg Jeffries, of just a guy who just is going to leave here and go somewhere else uh, because the story has just gotten too messed up here. It's funny because I talk to other Mets fans, Mm -hmm. and you can feel like people have soured on Matt Harvey. Um, And I don't know if it's because of residual sort of feeling of... Game 5 of the 2015 World Series, or a sense that he has somehow underperformed. The guy has been injured. Um, You have to give him a pass for that. He's worked hard. But, you know, people feel like Matt Harvey is... Maybe baseball isn't his top priority. Um, That's certainly a story that's been attached to him, but, I mean, we have lived through how many cycles of New York sports fans heaping expectation on a single player. And when that single player cannot deliver, um, then uh, they turn on him. Right. And this is the, I mean, I go back to, this is the Patrick, Patrick Ewing um, dynamic. Um, and, I mean, so it extends past just baseball. I would say it extends past sports in general. I think there's just something wrong with us as people. Yeah, I think there's something wrong with us as fans. There's something wrong with the media that covers the team. And Patrick Ewing is a great example because I grew up a Knicks fan. I grew up um, such a Knicks fan that like I would listen to Knicks games on the radio and record them on like a cassette player. And if like exciting moments happened, I would save them on tape. I was talking to... Um, friend of the podcast, uh, Chito Perez, mm-hmm. who used to do the same with Kansas City Royals games, and specifically like Bo Jackson at-bats, <laughs> so that at the end of the season, he would have this mixtape of nice. you know Bo Jackson at-bats, whereas I had like a mixtape of like Trent Tucker three-pointers <laughs> and like Patrick Ewing block shots. The point is, Patrick Ewing could never be good enough. Yeah. Patrick Ewing single-handedly willed that team into deep playoff runs year after year, but short of winning a title, Patrick Ewing could never be good enough. Patrick Ewing was a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Is a Hall of Famer. Is one of the 
50 best NBA players of all time. But if you ask Nick fans, Patrick Ewing was a disappointment. He's a bum. Right. Patrick That's Ewing. He's a bum. Well, he's a, a loser. Bum. What's he doing? He's a loser. He doesn't want it bad enough. He can't win yeah. the big game. I did not grow up much of a huge basketball fan, but I became a Knicks fan in the 90s when they had that great team. And I always, I even actually kind of liked them because they couldn't win the big game. There was something very, that reminded me very much of like, a, a crew of Viking warriors about them, uh, undermanned, underpowered, fighting to the last moment, no matter what, even though their deaths were foretold, even though there was nothing they could do to prevent Ragnarok or Michael Jordan, they still just went down fighting every time. But I will tell you this, when they traded Patrick Ewing, I stopped watching. It, I was so disgusted by the way that he was treated and the way that the media just piled on that it ended my Knicks fandom. Understandable. It's funny that, like, comparing the Knicks and the Mets, ask any Knicks fan who grew up, you know, when we did, what's your Knicks highlight from the 90s? And it's, oh, the time John Starks dunked over Michael Jordan <laughs> in a series that they lost. Yeah. So, but that's our highlight. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, that dunk. It's sort of like the Andy Chavez catch in 2006. That's, yeah. I was thinking of something similar, but not exactly that. I was thinking of the Grand Slam single. Ah, uh, yeah. Where, hey, that was a great moment in a series that we lost. Same thing for the Andy Chavez catch. It's a moment that exists. It's so great that it exists on its own. But you could do a 30 for 30 just on fan reactions to the John Starks dunk. Uh. Which God. was the highlight of his career. Yeah. Um, I was listening to that on the radio mm. because I didn't have um, I didn't have a cable at the time, mm. and you know it wasn't a weekend game, so it wasn't on NBC or whoever had the rights at that point. I think it was like 1995. So I had to listen on the radio. So I would get in my car and same thing with Met games, and I would drive around Long Island at night just listening to games, and I remember being so excited. And then you'd put on the fan after yeah. those Knicks games, and it would just be like, all right, we got to win. We won a game. Yeah, yeah. You're not getting past Michael Jordan. And if you're the Mets, well, you're not getting past anybody this yeah, year. Pretty much, pretty so much. So you mentioned Matt Harvey making his start today. Yes. Now, there's something else that's important that we should talk about. Yeah. Matt Harvey is making that start today against the Houston Astros. Um, that start is happening in Houston. Last night's game was postponed. They're playing a split doubleheader today. You know, I think everybody listening to this is aware of this, but over the last week, um, Hurricane Harvey, no relation, has worked its way through South Texas. Um, you know, while many cities in Texas are struggling in the aftermath of the storm, the city of Houston has been hit especially hard. Um, so, you know, our hearts, our donations... Um, it all goes out to everyone impacted by the hurricane. So it brings up an important question. As fans, it's okay to root for the Astros today and this weekend, right? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's definitely a case-by-case -case, uh, basis, but I think at least the first game, um, maybe not root for them, but be okay if they win. Yes. Um, my, my ideal situation... Matt Harvey comes in, throws five shutout innings, <laughs> gets pulled. We're all leave with good feeling. Yeah. The Astros scratch together an unearned run, and of course the Mets don't score. The Astros go home happy. 
whenever Astros fans make it to the game today, get a little break from right. everything they've been dealing with. I think uh, it reminds me somewhat of the, the Jose Fernandez game last year. Right. And how I can't recall a time that I was happier to see the Mets lose a game. Yes. Um, and that reminded me a lot of the 2001 game against the Braves, in which the Braves and the Braves fans played the same role. And they were like, you know what, if we got to lose this one, that's okay. Yes. Now, the only exception to this rule, because I'm always a big fan of a city, a big fan is the wrong word, <laughs> but I believe at the heart of things, we root for people. Yes. Um, you know, we root for teams, but at the end of the day, we want to see the story that is the best story. And right now, the best story would be for Houston to just buzzsaw through the postseason, um, make their way to the World Series, and, you know, probably face up against the Dodgers, where we're at a point where, as fans, either a city going through a hard time or Curtis Granderson gets a ring. Yes. Yes. So, you know, that's that would be our ideal scenario right now. I would actually like to, to revise a, a statement I made earlier in the season about ideal scenarios to sort of adapt um, uh, one of your ideas, which is now my current um, uh, hope for outcome, at least in the National League, is that the NLCS goes seven games between the Dodgers and the Nationals. Yes. And in game seven, in extra innings... Maybe the 14th, 15th. Maybe the 14th, the Dodgers win on a Curtis Granderson home run. Yes. Also, Chase Utley left off of the playoff roster. Not for any reason, <laughs> just for being a jerk. <laughs> just, I can totally get behind Dave that. Roberts is like, look, Chase, not a fan. We're going to leave you off the roster. One other thing I'm, I'm looking forward to with this weekend's games, and I know this is sort of kind of irrational, but I miss the Astros. I miss the Astros being in the National League. I miss the Astros being in the National League. I miss seeing them every year. Um, it just doesn't seem right to have the Astros in the American League. Yeah, I have a, um, I have a friend who I know because of this issue. Mm. Um, when it was announced that the Astros were switching from the um, National League to the American League a few seasons ago, there was a letter printed, uh, not a letter, but there was a piece on the old Grantland site Mm -hmm. About basically, hey, you're stripping this, you're stripping decades of identity from this team. Your league identity and your league affiliation matters. Um, and it's one thing, you know, when Milwaukee switched leagues, Milwaukee didn't have the history that Houston had. Um, Milwaukee's not as big a city as Houston. So the person who wrote this, like, it really, like, moved me. Like, how would I feel if my team was switching? Sure. So, like, I ended up just sort of following this person, um, his name's Whitney. We ended up following each other on Twitter. And, like, you know, we're friends to this day. And it's like, hey, had the Astros not changed leagues, wouldn't know that person. So thanks, Astros. Do you remember, I guess it was the 90s or early 2000s, when for a couple of years there was very serious talk of, and, and I always love this phrase, Radical realignment. Yep. Uh, a radical realignment that would have put the Mets and the Yankees in the same division. I'm so glad they didn't do that. That would have been the dumbest idea. I know where you I know where you're coming from. But if you think like hockey does that. Yeah, but I don't like hockey. <laughs> Fair enough. The NBA does that. Um I wouldn't mind seeing 
we talk about radical realignment. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing the Major League Baseball just go to a Eastern Conference, Western Conference mm. setup, where that way, I mean, there's a lot of things. One, you you have a chance for more rivalry games. Like what the NBA does is, you know, you play most of your games in conference, and you play two games. You play a home and home against the other conference. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind seeing something like that. I have been noticing the uh, the the talk has been starting to bubble lately about another round of expansion and adding two more teams. Which and I'm not a fan of. I am a fan of this idea for one reason and one reason only. The current regime of 30 teams is the reason why the schedule is so unbalanced. There, yeah. was, a, there was a discussion a few years ago about the merits of a balanced schedule versus an unbalanced schedule. Meaning, you know, do you play more games against your division and less games against teams out of the division? And in theory, I'm in favor of an unbalanced schedule, but it's too unbalanced. Right. The Mets play the Marlins 73 times. And they play the Dodgers once. And, like, that's just too much. And it's just because of the math of 15 teams in a league. And it also means that there's always an interleague game going on because, you know, that's just, you know, 15 divided by 2 doesn't work. You add two more teams, you've got 16 teams in each league. That makes the math a whole lot better. But what about, so 16 teams, Eastern Conference, Western Conference, North-South divisions. <laughs> so you end up with basically two eight-team divisions, or you can go North, South, Central, and do three four-team divisions, or, or however you I would like to math. remind you that every time baseball realigns, the Mets get screwed. And if you imagine what the 90s would have been like if the Atlanta Braves were still in the National League West, would have our been, whole history would be different. Yes. Yes, we if would have been. there had been a wild card, whole history would have been different. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm usually not much of a traditionalist, but I, I would like to not see radical realignment. And I'm okay with, like, let's dilute the talent pool and get two more teams in here. I would be, because, I mean, it increases our chances of getting on the field. Yeah. But I would love seeing, you know, Mets and Yankees play yeah. 12 games against each other a year with fewer games against the Marlins, um, fewer games against, you know, yeah. go north-south. Um, but I got way off track. We were talking about Houston. We were talking about Houston. And I was saying the one exception to the route for the city that has gone through a tragedy is the 2001 World Series. 100% agreement. I want, look, New York had been through the worst tragedy sort of of our lifetime. Um, so... You want to root for the Yankees. I was happy to see them make it to the World Series. But once they got there, I thought, the Yankees winning the World Series isn't going to turn New York's fortunes around. New York's going to come back from this. Let's go Diamondbacks. And that's the way it worked. Yay. We're all happy this day. I think that was actually one of the one of the uh, results of that incredible first game back where Piazza hit that home run. Um, that um, being in the stadium for that, it was a moment where it felt like after 10 days of holding your breath um, that you could exhale Yes, and that you could start the process of going back to normal. Right. And nothing is more normal than 
rooting against the Yankees in the World Series. Excellent point. So it almost demanded that Mets fans not support the yes. Yankees in the World Series. Um, from a storytelling standpoint, that series was terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, you couldn't draw up a better script. Um, there were, you know, just the back and forth, the sort of the, you know, walk-off home runs, the Derek Jeter hitting a home run and after midnight, November 1st, yeah. who cares? <laughs> Take a gift basket. <laughs> Yankees lose. Woo! And uh, one of the one of the things I, I always remember about um, that period in 2001 was seeing all the, the video and the footage of the Mets as a team working in the Shea Stadium parking lot to help load trucks yes. and and get relief supplies to the city. And it, and it was really heartening to see that uh, the Mets did something similar yesterday in Houston um, and that uh, there was no game yesterday. It's being made up as a doubleheader today, but the team spent the day um, uh, helping out the relief efforts. Right. And that was, that was really nice. And that's probably a good, uh, a good segue to, uh, to our ad spot. You know, um, we've had some great sponsors this year. Um, this episode of Flushing Transit Authority is brought to you by the Houston Food Bank. No jokes this time. Um, the Hurricane Harvey has displaced thousands of people. And the Houston Food Bank is working to help displaced people get nutritious food. So go to HoustonFoodBank.org to see how you can help the people of Houston today. There's great information on their site. Um, you know, because of some matching funds, uh, basically every dollar that you give to the Houston Food Bank will provide three meals for displaced, um, three nutritious meals for displaced people who don't have other options right now. Um, every dollar counts. Um, Houston Food Bank makes it really easy. You can go to their site. Um, you can either take one of their sort of pre-selected amounts or freelance, whatever you can do. Again, a dollar gives peak, provides three meals. Um, they are, look, there's a lot of places out there asking for money that maybe haven't been thoroughly vetted. Houston Food Bank has been in operation for years. Um, you can trust them. It's HoustonFoodBank.org. Um, and we'll put a link in the show. We'll put a link there. Um, you know, give what you can. It would be really appreciated. You know, um, have you ever seen, uh, there's that, um, Anthony Bourdain show on CNN, Parts Unknown? Yes. Um, I have not seen this episode, but I have been told by many people that his episode about Houston mm-hmm. is is something really, really special. Yeah. This is great podcasting, by the way. Like, <laughs> let's talk about shows we haven't seen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes and maybe we can... Uh, we can I have heard the same also uh, from yeah. people who, who are big fans of the show, but like... So, uh, hey, there was a Met game this week that I missed. You want to talk about it? <laughs> I missed a lot of Met games uh, uh, this week. So why don't we, yeah, this is probably a good way to transition from something meaningful about helping the folks in Houston to something meaningless, and that's Mets games this September. Yeah. You know, our motto here has always been, we live for meaningful games in September. As we said at the top of the show, it's going to be a long September. Yeah. Um, look, these games don't matter. <laughs> um, I've been sort of 
fluttering in and out of watching games. Mm-hmm. You know, my routine has always been, I'm still at work when the game starts. So start the game at work, listen to an inning at work, head out, catch maybe two innings on the drive home, and then get home in time for usually, you know, the mid-game point. Get home for the fifth and watch the rest. I haven't been tuning in at work. Mm-hmm. I haven't been tuning in on the radio. But when I get home, I'll flip the game on on TV. At this point, I'm listening mostly for Gary, Keith, and Ron mm-hmm. um, to see what they're talking about when the games don't matter. You know, there's just no... I don't want to say there's no point, because a baseball game is always fun to watch. Um... You know, you want to see what, you know, who's out there. So I'm watching now. I don't care about wins and losses. It doesn't matter. I would love to see the team play respectable ball. Mm-hmm. You never want to have, you know, a win total under 70. Um, that would be embarrassing. <laughs> but, you know, we're looking at something like that. Right now, what are we at, 58 wins? I say lose the rest of the way, get the draft pick. Yes. But really what I'm watching now is... Um, what do we get out of Brandon Nimmo? Is Brandon Nimmo potentially a um, major league caliber mm-hmm. outfielder? Um, how do Dominic Smith and Ahmed Rosario um, develop? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked at the very, very beginning uh, when we first started this podcast about we the word we used a lot was narrative. Mm-hmm. What's the story? And what we have this September is the opportunity to figure out the beginnings of new stories. Yes. You know, we've been hearing about Rosario and Smith for years, but now they're actually here. So what are those stories going to be? How are those going to play out? You know, what does Brandon Nimmo do with the chance to play every day? Like, what is that story like? What does Wilmer Flores do with, you know, steady playing time? Same for someone like Gavin Cicchini. Um, I don't know if you listen to, uh, there's the Meet the Mets cast podcast mm-hmm. that SNY does, and they yes. were talking... Uh, earlier this week about Travis Tyrone, um, who the Mets called up uh, to to you know be one of their mystery outfielders, right? Uh, and and telling his story, which I I wasn't aware of, that he apparently was kind of getting ready to quit baseball, and that he works construction in San Diego in the off season, and his journey was pretty much coming to the end of the road, and now he's playing major league games, right? I mean, and that's. If you can't root for that, yeah, you know, hey, I mean, look, maybe he can't play a ball off the wall in right center field. Well, cleanly, no, he can't. But you know, that doesn't change the fact that you know it's a feel good story that he's you know getting a chance to get um, get some playing time. I'll, I'll tell you one of my favorite things uh, that uh, I've, I've started paying attention to in the last month of this season is getting to know AJ Ramos, um, who is a very interesting cat. Um, uh, AJ Ramos got into a couple of late and close uh, situations at the end of games this week. And the thing that was remarkable about watching him pitch is he will throw a slider or a curveball, any count to any hitter, he doesn't care. Yes. And it's this, this unswerving commitment to his breaking pitches. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, uh, Turk Wendell. Believe, about, in, believe you know, in your stuff. Believe in your stuff. Throw it in any count. And yeah. like, I mean, it's it's a little it's a little scary at times. You're like, you threw a what to who when? Yeah. Like, bases loaded, full count, and you threw a curveball in the dirt? Yeah. 3-1. Wow. 3-1 slider. But it's exciting. And so I'm sort of using this time to get to know these personalities so that next year, if they're part of the story, we have an investment. 
you know, AJ Ramos, and maybe it's just his his body language. His body language reminds me of Armando Benitez, mm. and Armando Benitez is never look. He was a better pitcher than we give him credit for. Um, Armando Benitez is not a, a fan favorite, but if you look at his numbers, Armando Benitez performed. He yes. got it done more than he didn't. Yes. Um, we remember a couple of meltdowns. You know, if you followed his career before he was a Met, we remember him in Baltimore, um, which sort of led to the Mets mm-hmm. being able to acquire him for not a whole lot. Um, but AJ Ramos, just in his sort of fidgety, in his sort of inability, I was saying earlier, hey, that's great podcasting where we're talking about a show we haven't seen. I'm making motions right now <laughs> that no one can see. It's one of my classic visual yeah. bits that I like to do on this show. Um, but Ramos is a little bit of a roller coaster ride. And, you know, in games that don't really matter a whole lot, um, it's fun to watch. It's definitely fun to watch. And, and I think that's all we can hang on to right now is just being fun to watch. And then the one thing I'm going to hang my hat on this week, look, as you know, lifelong fan of Rafael Montero. Yeah, we need to talk about the Rafael Montero experience because that was something special. It really was. It really was. And we talk about like how uh, a story gets attached to someone and how Montero had, you know, well, gotten let's, saddled with this reputation. Let's back up on Rafael Montero. As I was saying, I've said to you many times, I've said on this show, and I said it last night to um, Mets fan um, Car Jeffrey as we were waiting for our uh, our food last night, um, remember that Jacob deGrom and Rafael Montero made their Major League debuts against the Yankees on back-to-back days. And at the time, Rafael Montero was the prospect, yeah, and deGrom was the other guy. DeGrom was the guy just coming up from AAA to get a start. But Montero was the guy we were excited about. Yeah. And Montero's never found his feet. He, you know, through bad luck or timing or an inability to manage his pitch count, um, Rafael Montero has been the Anthony Young mm-hmm. of the New York Mets. Yeah. In the sense that, you know what, he's pitched better than his record indicates, but his record is what it is. I know... Pitchers' wins and losses don't mean a thing, but you look at Montero's record, and his career record right now is like 3-13. and 13. Has he pitched better than that? Sure he has. Does it matter? Doesn't. So this week, Rafael Montero pitched the best game of his career. Um, best game of the season for any Mets pitcher. By game score, yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, but you look at um, Montero's outing, he went 8 and a third. Terry Collins gave him a chance to complete the game, um, gave up three hits, two of those were in the ninth inning, um, threw strikes, managed his pitch count, um, you know, was starting the ninth inning at 100 pitches. I think one of the issues with Montero has been, you know, one of the great things about having the broadcast team that we have on both TV and, and radio is they're very insightful. And in Montero's case, we found ourselves in a, in a weird dynamic where a lot of times if a player is not succeeding, it's hard to say why. Like, you know, you can say like, well, there's too much uppercut on that swing. All right. Well, you know, that's a hard thing to change. 
Montero is one of the only situations I can recall in recent history where everybody knew what was wrong. Right. Like, all the broadcasters could tell you in every outing what he was doing wrong. And it wasn't so much a failure of execution as it seemed to be a failure of decision-making. Right. Now, that may not be true, but that's how the story came across. And that engenders a narrative of why can't he just choose to do the right thing, which I think is a tremendously unfair because it's not actually a question of choosing to do the right thing. It's a question of being able to execute on what you're trying to do and, and, and trusting yourself. And the last thing to do with someone who doesn't trust themselves is stand over their shoulder and yell, trust yourself. Yes. And it's really interesting because look, I don't talk a whole lot about my sort of personal life on this show. That's a whole other podcast. But yeah, I don't even tell you guys about that podcast, but like, I tend to, in my life, make the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. I do the same things over and over again. Yeah. And I make the same dumb mistakes, and I know it. Yeah. And I recognize it. And people can say, hey, this is a thing that you do. So why should a young man pitching, you know, for my favorite baseball team be any different? Right. Right. I mean, also, I always need to remind myself that, like, how old is Rafael Montero? He's, like, 23? He's 25. 25. And the thing is, like, I was an idiot when I was 25. I'm an idiot today. <laughs> and look, I suffer from the same sort of sort of crisis of confidence yeah. that Montero does. If I was out there, look, I would be afraid yeah. to throw a strike. I'm like, I'm just going to nibble and hope we can get somebody to chase yeah. here. And that, you know, runs up his pitch count. Runners get on base. Then he's got to throw a strike. And you see what happens. But if he would just trust his stuff, right, he would be so much better off. Easier said than done. I say that as somebody who makes the same mistakes sure. over and over again. You know, I always think about um, a pitcher like Rick Ankeel, who, like, lost lost it in yeah. a moment. Like, went from this incredible pitcher with amazing stuff to just, it's gone. And and watching that happen on the biggest stage there right. is, like, is crushing. So this, you know, narrative of, like, well, he just needs to trust his stuff more. Well... Yeah, easier said than done. Right. But yeah, the Ankeel thing, you know, kudos to him for making it back to the major leagues. Sure. Position player, um, former Met, Rick Ankeel. Doing the reverse Ike Davis. I, I root for Ike Davis. I hope that he can make it back to the major leagues. Um, so, what else have we got? Look, we're at a point now where the games don't matter. Nope. I'm really more, like, I've been talking to other Mets fans and, like, Telling stories about other games. Mm-hmm. And, like, we were thinking specifically of, like, memories of Shea Stadium. Yeah. And it feels like that's more fun <laughs> to talk about right now. Talk about the past. Talk about the olden times. When the losses, well, we, we've come to terms with them. We can, you know, forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, those are, those are the past losses. Yeah. And we've already acknowledged that these losses don't matter. So let's just have a good time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, did, I about, did I ever tell you about the time I almost got into a fight? No. In the Shea parking lot? Wow. No. no. I'm, not a, I'm not a fighter, as, as you can probably tell. Again, another visual gag. You can't tell that, um, you know, I'm... Look, I'm not a giant person. I know my limitations. My limitations are I probably shouldn't get into fights with people. Hey, I am a giant person, and I don't get into fights well, with people. So. I appreciate that as someone sitting across the way from you right now. <laughs> it would be weird if these episodes broke into fisticuffs 
Also, fisticuffs, great word. <laughs> so, back in like 1995, I, uh, and in fact, I know the date because I, I looked up the retro score um, box sheet for it. Um, August 27th, 1995, um, I am in the Shea parking lot mm-hmm. in my 1988 Plymouth Sundance that I bought for $800. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and I am waiting to leave the Shea parking lot after a Mets loss to the San Diego Padres. Now, you remember sitting in that Shea parking lot Sundays, you could be there for a very really long, long time. time. Yes. So I got into a little bit of an argument with a guy who was also trying to get out of the parking lot because while we were at a dead standstill, he was blaring the Billy Joel song, Uptown Girl. Oh, dear. Now, at that time in my life, I was not someone who was a fan of Billy Joel. So I, stupidly, being 21 years old and full of, uh, I don't know, righteous indignation at the Mets losing, decided to yell something at this guy, not realizing that, one, my window was open, and two, he was going to hear me mm-hmm. and want to fight me for yelling at his music choice. Um, so me, being a pacifist and someone who doesn't enjoy getting beaten up, um, saw that I was about to get beaten up in the Shea Stadium parking lot to the tune of Uptown Girl, which is a bad way to go out. So when that driver got out of his car, I started my car, which had been just (laughs) sitting at a dead standstill, and drove to the other side of the parking lot. I lived not to fight another day. I lived to run another day. Probably for the best. Hey, you know, how bad can the traffic on Roosevelt actually be? Exactly. You know, it doesn't matter. Sit in that for a few hours. That and I realize how different it is. Like when I I've driven to City Field, I think only two times. Normally I'll take public transportation, um, but when I leave City Field because I don't live there anymore, um, I never really can get my bearings as to where I am. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness for GPS. Yeah. But I remember being a kid. When I say a kid, I mean like early twenties and going to Shea. And you get out of Shea Stadium, and I just have no idea where I am. And I would just drive around until I found, you know, until I basically found the, the Grand shops. Central Parkway again. Like, yeah. just driving around chop shops, like, hey, does anybody know where the parkway <laughs> is? I need the Grand Central East so I can get to the Northern uh-huh. State uh-huh. so I can get home. Um, it's amazing how, like, GPS has changed our lives. Because, you know, when I go to see the Mets in other stadiums, I've seen them at, I've driven to Dodger Stadium... I've driven to Petco Park, and like the idea of, oh, I'm just going to get out of this neighborhood now. GPS has greatly enhanced the yeah. ballpark experience for me. I remember as a, as a kid growing up, it was always, you know, driving to Shea with my parents, which meant, you know, how early are we going to leave? Are we going to leave two hours before the game? Are we going to leave three hours before the game? When, you know, the seventh or early eighth inning uh, would roll around, I could sense my mother getting antsy, like, can I convince them to leave now so we can get a jump on the traffic? And one of the great things about moving back to the city in my 20s was being able to take the train to the ballpark. And just to be able to, you know, at 3.30 in the afternoon, be decide, you know what, I think I'm going to go to the game tonight and, like, meet a friend at the at the seven train platform and, uh, and, and just get out there and then just get home easily. And it makes me that much angrier that we can't do that in Los Angeles, that right. that is 
practically no public transportation at Dodger Stadium, which just makes none of the sense. It's terrible. It's yeah. the, I mean, Dodger Stadium, we've discussed this. We have sort of split yeah. opinions. I think you're starting to come around on the place. Um, but the transportation is the worst. Yeah. Basically, you'd have to drive there. Um, there are shuttles that go, but they go from Union Station, which is downtown, which is, we may as well drive there. Yeah. 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 Basically, it's a matter of where do you want to deal with traffic and park. So the difference between driving downtown or driving to the stadium, you may as well drive to the stadium because at least then you can leave early. You know what a really good idea is for a city that is enormously sprawling and doesn't have a really great public transportation to some of its sporting venues? Give them the Olympics. <laughs> I am legitimately... What is it? It's the 2028 Olympics. Olympics in Los Angeles. I'm at this point just hoping that I move. <laughs> like that is my that is my plan to deal with that. I have sort of planned already that wherever we are living at that point, as we're just going to rent our place out for three months to someone from another country and like get get out of Dodge. That's a great that's a great idea. Yeah. Because I just look those of you who have never been to L.A. Um, whatever you've heard about the traffic, it's worse than that. Um, again, I was, um, had dinner with, uh, fellow Mets fan, um, or Jeffrey last night and, you know, she wasn't driving. She was just, you know, being smart and taking, you know, taking a Lyft or an Uber around town or, you know, looking for public transportation. And she was like, I thought it would be bad, but I didn't think it would be this bad. It's like, I figured on a Thursday afternoon I could get across town. Like, nope, nope. not going to happen. Nope. It's, not at all. One of the refreshing things about when I was on assignment in Bogota, Colombia, is uh, Bogota's traffic is worse than Los Angeles's. I did not think it was possible, but it is. And, you know, the Summer Olympics obviously take place during the baseball season. Yeah. So, do the Dodgers just go on the road for three oh, weeks? No, yeah. Do the Angels just go on the road? Because, I mean, it's... Possibly. Possibly. I mean, and won't baseball be back in the Olympics by then? I don't... I don't know. Is that? I think are they so. looking to do yeah, that? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, hmm. no, wasn't it be fun? The Olympics. I always get into them, even though I say I don't care about them. I always do, but I like to watch them from afar. <laughs> Please put yeah. your Olympics in London. Put your Olympics in uh, in Moscow. The worst part about the Olympics every year is the uh, NBC broadcast, which is just mind-numbingly stupid. Hopefully, by twenty twenty-eight. We can have a situation where we can get we can choose our feeds from around the world. Um, I mean, the beauty of this Olympics, the 2028 Olympics, I should say, <laughs> is at least we're not going to have to worry about here in the states um, tape delay broadcast. Yeah, at yeah. least we're going to see things live. Yeah, that's that's okay. But All right. there's no way that I am going to try to actually go to any of the events. Yeah, well, that is, you know, we, we do have over a decade to, to yeah, prepare to plan. That, so. Unless they add, like, water slides yeah. to the Olympics, that I would do. And, you know, I mean, look at it uh, from the other angle. It's possible that we may all be underwater by 2028 right. anyway. It's so. also like, hey, it's very hopeful of us to plan for the future. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. So, we have, so we've talked about a lot of things that have nothing to do with the Mets. Uh, we talked about the Olympics and disaster relief um, and the Knicks. Um you see any good movies this summer? I am hoping to get to see the um, uh, uh, re-release of Close Encounters of the Third Kind this week. Yeah. Um, not sure if I'm going to be able to, but I'm hoping to. It'll be fun. I have never seen that on a big screen. I've only watched it on TV. Um, but another day. Hey, we're getting way off topic. Hey, 
It's September and the Mets are way out of it. So today's game, this is a doubleheader today. So that means at least one of these two games is a day game, which means we can pencil in a surefire Mets loss. Yes. Because the day games, like there were two day games this year. I, I, there was a day game in Cincinnati this past week, and it was just brutal to watch. And it was like, why even bother? Is the sun shining? Let's just forfeit. Yeah. Do you remember when um, the stark difference between Dwight Gooden's daytime and nighttime record? I do. And the thing is, like, he was still pretty good in the daytime, but it was like he was unhittable at night as yeah. a young man. Yeah. And now we kind of know that, hey, maybe some of his extracurricular activity could have contributed to that. I'm wondering if there's uh, some team-wide extracurricular activities that are behind why mm. the Mets can't win a day game this year. I don't know. I uh, hadn't thought about it. Yeah, let's 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 speculate on that for the next couple of weeks, <laughs> and, uh, and and we'll be back uh, two weeks from now when you know maybe the Mets will have won one or two games in the interim. I don't know. Um, by then, it would seem that the uh, the playoff picture might be a little clearer. Um, I am looking forward to the playoffs because, uh, I'm, and now I'm finally coming around to feel the pain of local Dodgers fans, I'm looking forward to the playoffs to be able to watch Curtis Granderson as a Dodger, because I yes. can't right now. Yeah. I have to go to the stadium. I want, I want yeah. to see him. And that's worth the drive. He's great. Um, but it takes so long. Yeah. Anyway, we're off topic. Let's we probably wrap this up. Jay, thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, joining me, even though that, you know, it's it can be... Hard to uh, to stay upbeat at the moment. Um, this uh, this is supposed to be our refuge from the world, and it's uh, not, 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 not much of a refuge these days. But we will soldier on. Um, let's look for those, you know, Brandon Nimmo smiles, those uh, Dom Smith long doubles to the outfield, yep. those Ahmed Rosario opposite field shots. Yeah. Um, another player who I'm really looking at closely. Is Kevin Ploiecki. Yeah. What can Ploiecki do? I think that the team is ready to move on from Travis Darno. Wait a second. Here we are talking about the Mets again. Oh we'll save it for another we'll day. We'll save it for next time. All right. Uh, take care. Thanks. Thanks.